Welcome to House of Rams. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday the 14th of July 2020 while we're in lockdown and the club is shut. We're using this format as a quick and easy way to find out what's going on in the club and hear direct from those running the show for us. We hope you enjoy this instalment. I'm joined today by FUD President Alan Price, who's also Essex RFU President. How are you doing today, Alan? I'm good, Paul. Thanks, mate. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Just finished work and we're into uh, into these calls tonight. And uh, this will be, be a bit of fun. So no pressure, but you, <laughs> you, you've got to entertain me. <laughs> <laughs> Not for That'll cost you a few beers. That'll cost you a few beers. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so today we're going to focus on your role at the club and spend a little bit of time talking about Harlow Rugby Club back in the 70s and 80s. So with that in mind, we are going back some time. How old are you, Alan? Well, I came up to Harlow in 1972, and I was 21. And so for those that really want to know how old I am, I'm sure they can work it out from that. <laughs> so normally, normally we'd start by how we first met, but I was 14 and just joined Markle School, where you were a math teacher. Do you regret not teaching me? Um, perhaps I um, learned something. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm not sure, Paul. I, I, I suspect that you didn't start in year seven. Uh, no. But anyway, I, many other uh, of your contemporaries on the club I taught and, and made, and perhaps you were either too good for my set, or most probably, <laughs> or most probably, I would suspect well behaved. I seem to remember having the difficult groups at that time, especially the difficult recalcitrant uh, boys. So perhaps you were just a goody goody, Paul. <laughs> I'm not sure. I was taught by uh, Mr. Walters, I think. Who was, oh, uh, there we are. That, that, that was a treat. That was a treat, man. That, that was that was a treat, and I don't think everything went according to plan. There, I but there we are. Think we leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be a bar time conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so when did you retire as a teacher, and was there a big party? <laughs> well, it was certainly a, a, a very good party where um, uh, a video was made and uh, a lot of people were invited. But I actually uh, took my pension uh, in 2008, but I was soon back after two weeks taking a summer school. And in September, I went back to do a, a few uh, covers and uh, some extra classes for kids that needed grades in year 11. Uh, and so for the first six months, I ambled along doing a bit of this and a bit of that. But very soon, I soon I seemed to be teaching full time again. And uh, that carried on. And uh, it was only in the latter years that I calmed down a bit. So I eventually, I eventually I did walk away in uh, 2017 after 46 years of Mark Hall. So uh, I earned my corn there. So you, you spent nine years not retired working? Uh, yes, ten, <laughs> ten actually, but ten years. Ten years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. See, my maths was two thousand and eight to two thousand and seventeen. That seems less than ten to me, but uh, but you're the maths teacher, so you must be. There right. we are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're retired. How do you spend your time? Well, I know lots of people will say I don't know where the time went and whatever and, what, and how did I ever uh, find the time, but I really don't have much time anyway. What with the uh, Rugby business taking used to take up several hours a day. What with S- Harlow and Essex, but of course that's diminished recently, as, as you can well imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not so many evening meetings nowadays, um, so I, I, I suspect that will come back when rugby starts again. But I mean, a lot of my time is taken up with an allotment, which I enjoy, and it's been a godsend during this uh, 14, 15, 16 weeks lockdown. It's never looked so good. Yeah, uh, I, I still enjoy going to the gym, and I'm able to get back down to uh, Mike. Uh, three times a week, which I enjoy, and it's fair to say that I've been uh, doing a fair bit of holiday holidaying since my retirement. 
And uh, I go to go to down to Greenwich once twice a week for a bit of childcare. Not not recently because of the uh, the scare, mm-hmm. but uh, you know time is filled quite easily. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your your family then. So. Well, well, I, I'm Gwyn, uh, my son. Uh, he, uh, oh, I persuaded him to go to Australia for a year to take a year out to play some rugby, which he did with uh, Dudrig's son, Gareth Powell. Mm-hmm. Found him a club, nice little club, that, who found him uh, some digs, a job, and they gave him some transport. And he played a year out there. All, all was going good, great guns. Um, but he decided to fall in love out there um, mm-hmm. with a Sheila. And now I have three grandchildren <laughs> in Australia. Um, great grandchildren, uh, the oldest 15, then 15, uh, 12, and 9, all play rugby. And uh, over in Australia, it's quite different to the way they uh, do junior rugby out there. They, they actually transfer quite easily between league and, and union. And half the season they might play union, and half the season they might play league. Uh, or switch it about, uh, you, you know, in uh, season to season. But they really enjoy their rugby, or any sport, as you'd expect, living in Australia. Yeah. So that means Jan and I have managed to get to Australia 15 times, uh, which seems to be a lot. And uh, we, 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 that's amazing. Hello. Yeah, that's I know. Amazing, well, well, I think we seem to have, seem to have seen more of Australia than uh, than England and whatever, and Wales, uh, and most more than most Australians because they don't travel far. Mm-hmm. We've always managed, well, whilst we are visiting Gwyn, uh, to go, get to other parts of the country anyway. And I think the only place we haven't been to now is probably Alice Springs, right in the middle. We seem mm-hmm. to have done most other places in Australia. I didn't realise that they played league and union at youth rugby over there. Yes, yeah. well, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. half a season um, each. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, not everybody plays half a season of each, of course. But it's just uh, the travelling is so much, and uh, in league you can get a lot of opposition much closer to you than you can with union. Okay. So a union game on a Sunday morning could involve three and a half hours to get there, a game, a tournament, and then three and a half hours travelling back. Yeah. So that's why sometimes it becomes too much for a season. So they do half a season of union, and then they go to league, and then the travelling ends only about half an hour at the most, yeah. three quarters an hour. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you, and you've been spending some time in Greenwich as well with the childcare duties. Yeah, well, well, yeah, well, my, my daughter uh, pursued her careers in accountancy. And she had placements in uh, New York and Sao Paulo, which we visited. So that was an opportunity we couldn't miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's now back and establishing Greenwich with two sons. She's a finance manager for a, a charity company in Dalston. My two grandsons uh, often come up on a Sunday to Harlow. Uh, when they do, I managed to get them down to join them with the mini rugby with the uh, sevens, Stuart and Luke. Oh, and yeah. a, and a, and a, a quick well done to those two, because I know everybody on the club and every manager and every coach is good, but uh, Stuart and Luke do seem to get the most out of these kids, and I really enjoy watching the kids and watching the way that they're handling the kids. Oh, excellent. That's good. That's always good to hear. They're, they're, they're doing an excellent job. Loads to come from that, that group. I'm yes, sure. I think so, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And, and so your lovely wife, Janet. So I'm sure we're going to come to some stories later on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my my wife of forty six years. Yes, yes. Uh, forty six <laughs> years uh, is is a lot. I, 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 she's been happily married for forty six years. I think. No, no, I've been happily married for forty six years. We've both been happily married for forty six years. Excellent, excellent. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, so um, you're known as algae, or is it grape? I've not known you as grape, but where, well, where, where do those nicknames come from? Well, that's quite embarrassing really I suppose 
Um, I, I was called Algy in, in grammar school in the first year when uh, it was test, 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 test. And in one of the algebra tests, I managed to get 99%. So then right. some of the boys who uh, didn't get 99% uh, started calling me Algy. So that stuck <laughs> and, and, and would, have, would, have le- would have left when I went to college, except I went to college with a boy from the same school. So it, that perpetuated in college. Uh, and I was known as algae in college, and it, it became algae grape, and I suspect the grape has something to do with the vino, um, mm-hmm. although I wouldn't be too sure. You'd have to ask those people who uh, who gave me that name, but I think it probably had something to do with the red wine. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, what uh, what rugby teams have you been supporting? Um, well, um, a bit of a glib answer, but I, I support the three reds, Lions, Wales, and Harlow. Uh of course, I don't get back to Wales very often now, and so I can't support any team down there, uh, in any uh, premiership team. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've been to Lions three times now. Um, obviously, I tried to get to Wales, but I don't get it down there as often as I can. I get always get to Twickenham. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed feelings about going to Twickenham, but uh, rugby's that? rugby. Why is that? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's easy when you're winning. It's not so hard being Welsh in England in, in a Harlow <laughs> Rugby Club if you're losing, is it? Mind you, I suppose in the 70s, I give enough stick down that club, so uh, time, time comes round. I have to take it now, don't I? Calm well, calm yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how you yeah. feel. <laughs> <laughs> I know how you feel. Uh, yeah. So when did you last play rugby? Well, I, I suspect, I think I retired after a knee operation in 88 when the, when the surgeon said, who had done our thrust wheel on my knee, he said, well, if you're a horse, you, we'd shoot you. <laughs> but uh, he said, it's up to you whether you retire or not. He said, I'm on that knee. He said, the next time we have you in here, we'll have you under the knife for proper operation. Uh-huh. So the big decision I made then was, do I go home and tell my wife? Because uh, if I do, I'll have to retire. Or do I just keep it quiet and just play on until I really get under the knife? Uh, I went home and told the wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so that was the day I retired. And uh, uh, it wasn't much longer that I decided to become a referee. Uh-huh. So um, what position were you when you were Player, oh, well, I mean, with my size, I suppose there's only one position, and that was number nine. Uh, yeah. I started playing number nine in grammar school uh, at the age of 11. Um, played throughout college and for various clubs, got a haul on number nine. I do remember uh, playing a couple of games at 10, which weren't very successful. And one horrible game when Don Harrigan uh, chose me to play in the centre against Barkin, who had a six foot five giant of a centre. <laughs> That, that, that was and he was terrified not, of you, yeah? Uh, I think he was, yeah. I, I, got, I think I got the better of him, Paul. But I, well, put it this way, I was never picked at centre again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So you, you were saying about uh, you were a referee. How, how long were you a referee for? I, I did 10 years. And uh, I, I started refereeing when Harlow were in level five, which then was London and North East Division One. Uh, now it's South East and it's... Uh, uh, but... Uh, my ambition was to sort of finish, get as far in refereeing as I, as I was when I was playing. So if you say level five, I want to get to level five in refereeing. So having gone into the game at 38, uh, you know, it wasn't always going to be easy, but I did rise and rise and rise and got fast-tracked and I got to level four, which meant I was, could have done any level game. Of course, they wouldn't give me those level games, but uh, some of the best rugby I refereed was, was second teams, such, you know, Richmond twos against Northampton twos or something like that. Because league rugby came in at the same time, and my start in my rugby refereeing career uh, coincided with league. And of course, refereeing league rugby at whatever level is completely different to refereeing first class sides, second teams. 
with the first class sides where it was still friendlies, not leagues, you could have a bit of fun, you could make mistakes, and you could have a laugh with the captain. Mm-hmm. We're refereeing league rugby. Uh, it didn't matter what you did. You had one one side bickering, the other side applauding. So you you just got to get used to it. It's part and part of the parcel of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, after after that. Uh, you stopped refereeing. You became what, what I termed as a referee's assessor, um, or you certainly appeared to be from the sideline when you uh, were coining the fa- phrase. Was it "shake your head, ref, your eyes have got stuck"? Was that one of yours? Well, I, well, I might have been one of mine, yes, Paul. But uh, <laughs> I like to say that uh, I, I give the, ben- the referees the benefit of my considerable experience. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that said, and uh, people quite often comment on some of my uh, comments from the touchline. The referees all know me. Um, yeah. I'm well known throughout Essex and Eastern Counties. Uh, I do speak to the referee before the game and, and warn him, especially if he's one of the exchange referees, he's from Oxford or, or Cornwall, and say, well, if you hear these dulcet tones, it'll probably be me, but don't worry, I'm only um, expressing my passion for the game, which I still reckon is passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you won't hear me swearing at the referee. You, you, you hear sarcastic comments, uh, but I'm always the first to go up to him after and ask him how, you know, if he wanted me, if he wants any sort of uh, what I saw and he's, I, I don't call it advice I'm saying you know would you like the benefit of what I saw and he, he says yes or no but uh, <laughs> no no referee club no referee leaves our club without being spoken to by me if I'm there for the first team game of course um, and I haven't had the chance to come back and and, and, and whatever well, uh, I they, think I, now they yeah, know I, that do, do, do you think they're going to come back I mean they're, well, they're they, not going to leave without I, talking to you <laughs> I, th- I think they do, Paul. I, I, I know them all. They come back and they say, "No, right, okay, Alan, what's it going to be today, mate?" One of my best ones is when when the ball goes in line out, and I say, "Sir, do you need a micrometer?" Um, the, 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 I can see them; their brains thinking double time when I use that one because they don't know what a micrometer <laughs> is. And even if they did, they're wondering what I'm talking about anyway. Well, so can you fill us in then, so that everyone here now knows what you're going on about, and not just the old. Uh, micrometer is, is, is a, it's an instrument for measuring very small distances. <laughs> so it's when the ball doesn't go in straight, but I think it is straight. <laughs> so we're getting on to those parts that you love about rugby. I mean, what, what is it that's kept you hooked for all this time? Oh, well, the camaraderie. I mean, I mean, everybody says that, but it isn't a cliche. It's true, isn't it? I mean, once 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 you get hooked into rugby, you're not going to leave in, leave it for anything else. I mean, uh, uh, the excitement, uh, the course of thrill of playing and winning. And I suppose, you know, it, it brings people together. I've travelled the, the, the world and I've travelled this country. Whenever you sit in a pub or you're having a, you know, a outside drink or whatever, you can tell the rugby aficionados if, they, if they're close to you and if they're talking. From the way they talk and their general misdemeanor, misdemeanor, you know, you can tell that they're rugby people. And once you find out that you are rugby people, you've got an affinity no matter what, what nationality you are. And you find yourself talking and whatever, and friends, boom, boom, straight like that. So mm-hmm. it, it's the general camaraderie of the game I like, and, and the, the full gamut. But, uh, I mean, I could speak and speak and speak, I suppose, about what I love about the game. But since I've been steeped in it, as you would expect, coming from the South Wales Valleys from the age of uh, 11, because I, I didn't, we had no such thing as mini rugby or anything then. Um, there was only schools rugby at that, grammar schools. Uh, and then... Uh, um, I played Colts, but there was very little Colts about anyway. It was straight from schools into into into, into first teams. Senior rugby, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, so whether it's uh, whether it's playing, refereeing, uh, spectating, talking about the game, administrating, managing, you know, it's 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 it's, it's 
it's all time consuming, but but I love it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, um, so just going to go back a bit through the history. So, you were brought up. Was it uh, Pont Clan Fry? Oh, I said that yes. right. Sorry. Well, I, if you weren't, if you didn't have Welsh parents, I'd say you said it very well. But <laughs> the fact that you have Welsh parents, you should have said Pont Clan Fry. Pont, uh, Pont Clan Fry. There we go. Well, there's no scene at all. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, you, you were at grammar school then, and that's just north of Cardiff, sort of uh, between there and Newport, in that part of Wales. Um, yeah. Now, you sing a song that you're Cardiff-born and Cardiff-bred. I mean, is that strictly true? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have supported uh, Cardiff uh, in those days anyway when I was growing up in the grammar school, when I was supporting rugby. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I'm about 12, 12 miles north of Cardiff. The ne- nearest big town would be Newport, which is only eight miles away. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can imagine in, in when I, 1960s, late 60s, playing uh, rugby in, in South East Wales, uh, if you'd say Saracens is, is, you know, and, and Harlequins are this sort of premiership clubs, the first class clubs used to call them in Wales then. Well, I lived in Pontland Frith and within a 10 mile radius, we had... Uh, Coming down the valley, Ebervale, Cross Keys, Newbridge, Pontypool, uh, Newport, Cross Keys, Tudiga, all first class clubs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was steeped in rugby. And in our grammar school, we weren't allowed to play football anyway. It didn't result in the cane, but it wasn't far from, if, from it if you were called playing football. Yeah. So, you, you said you, you left, well, left. Uh, yeah. Because you went into Cardiff for. Um, University. At eight, so. Yeah, at, eight, at 18, I, uh, it seemed uh, um, only right and proper, I suppose, that I, that I would follow up on uh, my interest in sport. And so Cardiff at that time was well known as a, as a bastion of, uh, of rugby. In actual fact, I had this great idea that I'd go to uh, Cardiff and I'd be the next Gareth Edwards, who had only actually just left Cardiff when I, when I went. But I hadn't uh, uh, likened or hadn't thought about the likes of his brother getting... <laughs> Uh, and Brimo Williams, who played for Wales and the Lions, and Bob Dyer and Selwyn Williams, who played for Wales B, all at Scrum Half. And I suppose, and there was others. And I suppose it, it, after about three days, it, it, I had to accede to them really, for, for they were far better players. And I, I had to re, uh, reinvent my ideas about uh, how far I was going to go. And I probably wasn't going to be the next Gareth Edwards. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed it in, uh, in Cardiff for three years. Um, I played my first year in the thirds. Which you know, which are very good standard because uh, we I played alongside a, a soon-to-be England prop, uh, uh, a Welsh B captain, and um, one famous appearance of Roy Burgess, who played for Wales and the Lions. In actual fact, in my year, uh, which was the uh, seventy, uh, sorry, the sixty-nine year, we had two British Lions, two other Welsh players, and an English international. And this was besides the many B caps and others who went on to play first-class rugby. Yeah, which is the equivalent of Premiership. Yeah, and so uh, and that's only my year. You know, I was only the Your first year. Yeah. The second and third year was dotted as well, about with these internationals. So uh, I mean, I literally remember. Uh, you might remember his name, uh, the winger John Bevan, who mm-hmm. went for the went with the Lions and scored four tries against England. Um, <laughs> did, did, did that come over then? Scored four tries against yeah, England. Yeah, it came across yeah, that clear. I had my little yeah. chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I remember when he was in in the in the first year, end of the first year, and. Uh, Literally, uh, uh, this sounds as if I'm making it up, but no, we were having a coffee in between lectures, and he opened a letter as he did, and it literally was from Wigan, uh, North Northern Club mm-hmm. League, a yeah. blank check. It really? was literally a blank check, 
and with a letter. And he would just, he just, uh, you know, everybody read it, and then he said, well, and then he put it up and put it in the bin. So here we are. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so at that time, Wales were exporting teachers at the same rate as coal. And yeah. was, you, was your intention of coming to, uh, to to Harlow to educate the English in in rugby? Was that really why you well, came across? I I I had it drummed into me by my grandparents, both my grandfathers and my uncles. My father that I would never become a miner. And of course, mm-hmm. I want from mining stock, and uh, so basically, you needed to educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself, because you need to get out of this valley, otherwise, you will become a miner. So it was always inbred that I was going to get out. Um, and finishing college, I I wasn't. Uh, I I could have joined my old school, grammar school. Uh, there was a post going there, but I thought over that, and I thought, no, I think that'd be a bit insular. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some uh, the, the head of P came up and he said, there's some jobs going up in Essex. And I, and I, along with a friend, uh, Jerry Townsend, who also came to Hall at the same time, and he played rugby for the club, uh, we said, all right, we'll come up. And I had a choice of Campions, or uh, school down in Rayleigh, or Mark Hall. Um, I suppose I chose Mark Hall because uh, they wanted a rugby-playing gymnast and because there was already two teachers there from Harlow. Uh, from Harlow? And the fact... Oh, from Harlow? Uh, sorry, sorry. From the club? Uh, no, no, yeah, no, from, sorry, Cardiff Train. Ah, okay. Yeah, they had a Cardiff train. And so I thought, well, I may as well go there as anywhere else. And, and Jerry decided when he, he taught at Latin Bush. Mm-hmm. So that's how we arrived at Harlow on, on a late on a Friday afternoon when the council offices were about to close. And Cheekney walked in about half past four and said, so where's our accommodation then? And they, <laughs> they said, well, we've written about five letters and you only replied to one. I said, yep. yeah, but the reply was we wanted furnished accommodation, not these three bedroom houses or whatever you've been offering us. And so expect on a Friday afternoon to be housed because uh, everything we had was in the car. And we yeah. were. We were housed in the, in, in the only furnished flats they had, which were kept for visited dignitaries to Harlow, uh, in um, a tower, in town, uh, one of the tower blocks in the town centre. Oh, wow. There we are. Didn't so, know you could do that back then. Cool, Blimey. No, fun. well, yeah. that's... Yeah, we did. So who was in the side of you when you, you came back to came to Harlow? And um, who, what was the... What did the first team look like then? Well, I'm, I mean, I came in 72, and by 74, Harlow had eight comprehensive schools, and in each of those was three men and three women PE teachers. So simple maths tells you three eights are 24. By 74, 75, 21 of those 24 male PE teachers were all trained in Cardiff. And that, I suppose, is when uh, the tide turned and we started getting all of the boys from school down to Harlow to start playing youth rugby and coach rugby. Up until then, they'd been going to Upper Clapton mainly. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and maybe the strength of Upper Clapton was down to the Netswell boys and the Mark Hall boys who were going down there. Um, but when I first came up, I didn't play uh, in September and October because I was more interested in trying to, uh, you know, uh, become a good PE teacher and with lots of uh, <coughs> after-school activities and Saturday mornings. It was only because John Hurley turned up uh, at a game in school, which I just refereed, and uh, he said, uh, jump in my car, mate, you're playing this afternoon. I didn't seem to have a choice. <laughs> and, and I remember playing uh, scrum off uh, inside John Packer, who had a boot on him like a donkey. Um, uh, and then, then I thought, oh, well, well, you know, okay, I can do school in the morning and play in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I started playing then. Uh, that was in 72. Um, around that time, of course, John Davis was still about. And I had a great season under Don Harrigan, who went on to Captain Saracens. Mm-hmm. Uh, two giant locks in Rodwell and Minchin, who I still sincerely believe would give any uh, line-out jumpers. And that's you included, Paul. 
um, <laughs> a, a good a good jump for their money. Although <laughs> while I'm at that, I, I did once compliment you and said that uh, you were the best line out jumper in uh, level five in the nineties, if you remember. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you you, you seem to be contort your body to win that ball in the line out. Yeah. They just brought they just brought in lifting. And so, That's right, yeah. So yeah. Uh, there was uh, Reg Grafton uh, was in the team before and Nutty. Mm. Reg wouldn't, yeah. let, wouldn't let anyone lift him and uh, Nutty, no one could lift him. Um, and uh, Pete Keeling, I remember, just lifted me up a few times and uh, yeah. and I was miles above everyone in the air and yeah. it, sort of, it went from there. I still, Everyone else who's lifted me will probably say I never jumped. So it was, all, it was always about people lifting yeah. me up anyway. Don't. But... Um, but, uh, don't knock it, don't knock it, Paul. We can do that. We can do that for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but uh, I mean, yeah, we, it was it was pretty good that time. That, when they first brought in lifting, I had a bit of a, uh, I had one up on a lot of people uh, at that yeah, point in time, yeah. so just embraced that. But it didn't last yeah. long because uh, James Grover came along and was just much better at it than me anyway. So <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd like to say he was a bit lighter and easy to lift. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, indeed. We, yeah. Well, following on from those Rodwell and Minchin, uh, we had Gallows as hooker, Dovig on the wing, you know. Then later on in 73, along came Mark Walbyoff. Jim was Parsons. The, oh, was, was Dovrick always a winger? Because I didn't have him down as a winger. Um, oh, yes, yes. He was always a winger, yeah. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I that where, that, that's where the cool Brocklesmead comes from, isn't it? Because you'd kick it down the line. Well, and he um, used to live in Brocklesmead. Is that what? Yeah, yes and no. We, I used to live in Brocklesmead along with his brother, Dennis Powell. Okay. And since I was right footed, the Brocklesmead kick always went to the left, which is where his brother was playing. And Brocklesmead basically was a kick from the base of a scrum into into the box, uh-huh. and so I just called it Brocklesmead, and and, it, and we, we played for it for years and years and years and years. After that, we still used it when I started playing. So <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah, indeed. So there we go. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Sorry, Hayden, Hayden Davis was there, and I, and I actually in those early times in the early seventies, I remember the Colts who came up: Kenny Gladden, Bobby Ellis, Jim Poison, Ray Ball, who went on to play you know first team rugby for quite a while. So it was a mixture of, uh, of the old ones I talked about and, and the youngsters in those early, <coughs> early days. And later on, I remember the, you know, the youngsters coming up, Steve Mansky and Mark Jenkins, David Hurley and Alan Price. Mm-hmm. In actual fact, I've, I've just about forgiven uh, Mansky now for almost finishing my rugby career. As a, as a young coach, he came back from holiday, as one does, and uh, the beginning of the season in, in August was always the Brentwood Silver Bowl. And uh, he came back and uh, on a Saturday night and the... the Brentwood Silver Ball was on the Sunday, and uh, in the first lineup that he was involved in, he tapped the ball at my feet, which I went down to pick up, and I just got uh, steamrolled and carried off. Um, I, I survived, not 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 for the rest of that tournament that day, but I survived, and uh, I've just about forgiven him then. I'm just, not sure whether it was on purpose or not. He blames it; uh, he was a bit hungover from, from <laughs> being abroad. But there he, we are. He, he probably laughed anyway. So. <laughs> oh, he, he still laughs about laugh. it. He, yeah. he still laughs about it. He still laughs about it. Good for you. Good. So, so tell us about sort of that uh, uh, life at the the club back then, and in in those sort of later seventies and eighties. Well, yeah, yeah. It's well, it's 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 well, certainly different to what it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rugby itself was no less physical and just as fast. I mean, we trained twice a week, but training was usually followed by a few beers and a few more. Of course, coaching was in its infancy, so the captain took on a lot of the, the training then. We used to call it training, not coaching. Mm-hmm. Although I'd like to think that Harlow did uh, spearhead the way for coaching, and we've always had good coaches down the club. Um, and in the 70s, uh, when I came up, we run seven senior sides. Seven senior sides. The competition was very keen. 
We used to get, uh, if you were in the first, I, I suspect all seven sides, but you were informed uh, in the 70s, early 70s, uh, uh, by a postcard with a first-class stamp on as to which side you were playing for and what time you need to be at the club. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, how much got lost in the post? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Mm. And um, we... Uh, I think the first team was the only team then I had kit provided for them. Everybody else had to buy their kit. Mm-hmm. So you, you, had to, you had to buy a shirt to represent Harlow. Um, the shirts had only just been changed from a white with green stripe to a, to a green. And I like to think in 72 and then following on from me, the, the advent of the, uh, the uh, coming up of the Welsh teachers from Cardiff, we gradually changed the colours to red. I remember, well, I remember the shirt being green with red cuffs, a red number and red collar. Uh, mm. I still love that. I still love that shirt. Um, yeah. Colour bottle green. Uh, but then it gradually changed and uh, then it became red and we played in red for a long time. Now it's, then it went back and so now we play in red and green, which I suspect is the proper way. Having said that, I think I might have been one of the instigators of changing to red, but I think uh, John Hurley also claimed that he, he started it as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we yeah we definitely a Welsh influence somewhere. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think so. I, we, like, I, the red socks as well, um, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I know that uh, carping on about you know the seventies and the eighties when the Cardiff men were up there and uh, blah 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 upsets a lot of people. But it was a time when the foundations for the success of the club, I think, were laid. Not necessarily on the playing field. It was probably in the schools where we were in. You know. Teaching boys good rugby, you know, the rugby in Harlow then was was taught, and and nowadays it's very few very few schools actually teach it. They 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 do have rugby lessons, and of course the club is having to take on a lot of the, the teaching and coaching. But then you know all the boys in all schools went through rugby for five years every first term. So I'd like to think that the teachers brought uh, the youngsters into the club, and of course a club is only as good as its youngsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the start of of of, of Harlow getting uh, success. Yeah. So um, you now we haven't always played on. Or oh, now we're at Latin Park, and previously we were at Ramblers <coughs> with the three pitches that we had there. But that wasn't always the way, was it? I mean, no, no. I mean, uh, the, the first and seconds have usually played up on Ramblers. Although in the early days, the club before '72, when I wasn't there, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the rugby post used to be floated down the, the river Stort and picked up at Pondon Mill, and then put up on a field uh, near Pondon Mill where. First of all, it was cleared of all the cow dung, uh, and uh, there was a lot of uh, electricity-wise work across the field as well. Uh, and you can imagine the post going up before the game; they were never straight anyway. Uh, <laughs> but even in the seventies, uh, the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh used to trot down uh, to Ponder Mill over the railway line to play in the field down there. So that 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 must have been fun, I suppose. <laughs> I have to. I have to say that I, I I never got as low as to go down to. I mean, in lower size to actually go down over the. Railway. You didn't. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> so what? What was the social life in the club like after that? Uh, well, I mean, there's seven teams at home. That's a lot of people. Well, imagine. But I mean, I mean, the rugby club then. What was? What was? Was your nightclub? Was your pub? Was was the, the your social place? Was your gym? Was your you know you, everything revolved around the rugby club? Not not like now. I mean, uh, uh, if you if you became if you were at the rugby club, you were part and parcel of the rugby club and everything that went with it. I mean, it it, it basically was your life. I mean, uh, it was very diff- you know it it was very very competitive. You can imagine with seven uh, each position, and I I, I well remember that uh, uh, selection was always on a Thursday night, 
and all seven teams had to be chosen and picked, and they'd come out in order. So you'd, you'd, we'd all be in the back room, and uh, you'd pick the first team after a lot of argument, and out would come the first team and be pinned up on the notice board. And then uh, whoever pinned it up would run in, and we'd all listen for the clattering and the, and the arguing and whatever, and they'd been dropped again, or blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so first team captain had to, had to uh, uh, chair that uh, selection committee. And of course, you can imagine, it wasn't easy. A lot of good scrum offs, a lot of good props, a lot of good hookers. And so there was a lot changing between the first, seconds and thirds. And it wasn't, uh, you know, always the same settled side uh, that, that we might have become accustomed to nowadays. There was a lot of changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try and keep boys interested and, and sometimes horses for courses as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But it was always difficult. And of course, some people were content to play for the, uh, the fifth, sixth and sevenths and the, the, the fourth teams, you know, the, uh, which are called the Saints. Uh, obviously, everybody was trying to get into the Saints where they, where they after you finish your playing days up above, you always want to get the Saints because I remember in the 70s they had a, an unbeaten season, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They went through. Um, but I mean, one of the one of the things I do remember about the seventies, which is completely different today, is the is the foul play. I mean, it was very very prevalent in those days. I mean, in actual fact, it's fair to, it's fair to say that a lot of it was was just thuggery. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased to say that today's game is is much more controlled than that. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, well, I, I well I remember when I was at Mark Hall in the fifth year or last year of Mark Hall, and we played rugby for the school in the morning and then go down to the rugby club with our kit in the afternoon and try to get a game in the afternoon for whoever was short of players um, yeah. and, and that used to be something that was possible I, I don't know if you'd be able to well you wouldn't be able to do that now you'd have been too young to, 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 to do that but we used to just uh, just turn up and try and see if we could how many games could we play in a week two for the well, club two for the club one for the seniors one for your Colts team or or what was it, under-16s or whatever it would have been then, and and two games for uh, the school, one on a Wednesday, one on a Saturday morning. And uh, if we could yeah. get away with that, we would, we would get away with that. Well, <laughs> but, I'm, I'm glad you did, Paul, because I certainly got away with it because uh, I used to play uh, rugby on a Saturday morning and then play for senior side at 16 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's no Sunday rugby then. And uh, it, it's completely illegal, but uh, well, I got away <laughs> with it just, just about. You know? and, but uh, yeah. it was quite difficult in those days because it, 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 there really was a lot of thuggery about. Yeah. But having said that, along with that, once you come off the field, it was always a shaking of hands and three cheers in the bar. And the norm was you always bought your opposition uh, number a pint and you talked over the game. And there was never any uh, after, afters, you know, there was no, no bad feeling. You know, you got the mm. punch, you give a punch and away, you, sometimes worse than that, and you got away with it. Yeah. But like I said, I'm really glad that uh, the youngsters of the day don't, don't see any sort of that now. Very rarely do you see any thuggery on the field. So the, the medical sort of how you were looked after, uh, yeah. has that changed a bit? <laughs> well, we we didn't have physios. We had somebody with a sponge on the side. But uh, yeah. we, I know that if you, if you if you uh, needed stitching up, uh, we did have always have two doctors playing and a vet. And I know the doctors were Cliff Bishop and and Bruce, who Bruce moved on to Australia. And I can't remember the name of the vet now. But anyway, uh, they they would always stitch you up after the game, but never until they had a few beers. It's and uh, it, <laughs> it was something like that, yeah. But uh, you always sat up. If, if people remember Round Gorse and the old clubhouse, up on the steps, and you sat down, and then either Cliff or Bruce or the or the vet would come along, and they'd stitch you up, mm. and uh, a box would be passed around for 
two bobs, half crowns or whatever, to go to charity to watch uh, the people scream. Never, never any anaesthetic and always after bed a few beers. I think it's fair to say most people preferred Bruce, but if they had a choice, they'd have the vet because the vet was always a lot neater, apparently. And Cliff was just the hatchet man. He just went in and stitched you up. It was a butcher, the butcher bishop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the butcher bishop. You, you used to call him that as well, did you? Yeah, well, you did it. He stitched me up after my first first team game. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I had quite a few times afterwards as well. So, oh, and after a few drinks and on the patio. So, yeah. there we go. Yeah. My, my dad yeah. was like, oh, Cliff will sort you out. Don't worry. Come, Cliff, come over here. Oh, yeah, there we go. So, anyway, yeah. uh, he, well, there was a rumour you shouldn't ask him before he'd had three beers um, or, or, or that because it, he'd do a terrible job. So yeah. He'd do it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but carrying on, carrying, on, carrying on from in the 70s, I mean, uh, it was always, we used to play, a, 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 even with seven sides, we used to try and play one team. So if it was, for example, Romford and Gidea Park or Brentwood or Basildon or Eaton Manor, all sides would try and play the same opposition. Mm-hmm. So if we if we went away to say to Eaton Manor, there was always three sides and maybe four sides going down there. So there was always great camaraderie amongst not only your own team but your your own club members playing at the same place. And whenever whenever we went away, no matter if it was only down the road, you you couldn't get back without having to stop at a pub. Yeah. Um, if we went east into Hertfordshire, it was always the uh, Prince of Wales in Hart in Fordbury, and that that was a wonderful pub. I mean, the, you, Reg and Doris, God bless their souls, they were old and decrepit even when we went there in the 70s. They used to love having us going there. We had some times in there. I mean, remember Roger Morris with a stool turned over pretending it was bagpipes. And, and Reg was blind anyway. I was just serving beer. And we were making a lot of rankless noise singing to these bagpipes. And he shouted out, turn those bloody bagpipes down and try to serve you. <laughs> I, I do remember that. And, of course, if we went west down to Romford Way, Ilford Way, we always just stop in uh, the Cock in Onga. And a uh, lovely real ale in there. But, of course, we were banned from there quite a few times. <laughs> um, uh, and when I thought we were banned for about 10 years. And I seem to think it was... It was it was a Christmas coming back. When it was the last game before Christmas and everybody came back there. We got in there and, of course, not only were the uh, three raucous rugby teams coming back to Harlem and stopping for a beer, there was also a lot of locals who wanted their ale as well. And it seemed to us uh, that uh, the landlady seemed to be favouring the locals rather than us. And no matter what we did, we just couldn't get served quick enough. So some wag had decided to um, um, urinate on the open fire. <laughs> Now you can imagine the uh, the smoke and the smell yeah. and whatever else the mayhem, and we were frog marched out and banned for ten years. <laughs> I, I think we are now allowed back in. That's a Myself, pretty lengthy ban, that one. Uh, well, every time ever somebody went there, went there, we were careful to turn our sweat, you know, rugby club sweaters on or whatever. But as soon as you know, and like I said, if you go around the world, you know, you soon know rugby people. Yeah. And and even, and even with a different landlord, they say you're from Harlow, you're banned, get out. <laughs> So I, I, maybe I shouldn't ask you who it was that urinated in the fire. I, I, yeah. If I knew, I, 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 I'm, I'm silent. I'm silent in that matter. But, uh, so is this around the time that your wife used to leave a key on the string in the, through oh, the letterbox? That, 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 that was that was in the eighties. That was in the eighties. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, it's uh, leave a key. No, no, no. Well, I mean. When, when when you were captain at Harlow, uh, it, it, it was a fair amount of responsibility. You couldn't get you a chief selector and chair selectors and you know, everything. Um, and so uh, players did show you a fair amount of respect. And, of course, being captain, 
uh, and with the social life, you, you never wanted to be the first to leave the club. In actual fact, you wanted to be the last to leave the club. Um, and so I was always home late when I was captain, always home late. Um, <laughs> so is, is there any truth, then, that this story, that well, you, when I, you put your hand through the door, that there was no key there because no, Janet no, would, tie, it would take the key off and you'd have to sleep no, in the shed? No, I'll, I'll, I'll praise you for you, Paul, and, and, and hope that my wife doesn't listen into this podcast. <laughs> um, I came, came home late uh, well after midnight on a, a Saturday when the snow on the ground and I rung the doorbell. And no answer, and I, I was getting sleepy as well. So I put my elbow on the doorbell. I did fall asleep, I think. Um, to which the uh, bedroom window opened, and down was thrown a set of keys, which would uh, go and sleep in the car. <laughs> so I sat down on the doorstep and uh, um, thought about it. I thought, I'm not having that. This is my house. So I rang the doorbell again. And all of a sudden, the lights come on, and my wife came down carrying uh, our young daughter, Catherine. And, but she went past the door and she went into the kitchen. I thought, this is good. I'm in now. So she came back from the kitchen with the pellets and cut the doorbell lead. <laughs> and went back to bed. <laughs> oh, there, uh, there we, we are. There we are. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's partially true. It got lost. It's, in par- it's partially true. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's my... My dad that told me about that story, so uh, yeah. correct him somewhere. There. And the, the other, the other story that Mansky and Kev said that I should ask you about is uh, when I asked them about a tour they'd been on, they talked about you going along as well and the cheeky girls. But we should ask you about the cheeky girls on it. Well, I, you could ask me all you want about the cheeky girls. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm from Barcelona. I do, I, I, I do remember the cheeky girls being down in Clacton, but it's. Uh, uh, they were just there, you know. I mean, I'm not sure what else you want me to say without, incri- <laughs> without incriminating myself. I mean, I, 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 it's funny that the club has not been on many senior tours when, when I've been down. I've, I've only been on uh, two as a player, one to Jersey and, and one to Wales. Um, and I know that we've been uh, about to have off and, uh, and down to Wales a second time. But the, the seniors don't have many tours. Um, but I do, I do remember that uh, tour to Jersey. I'm not sure if you were there, Paul. Did you go to the, on the Jersey tour? No, I didn't go on the Jersey tour. No, Sligo. No. I mean, Sligo. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few yeah, others. Yeah. New Key. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. France, I remember somewhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, the Jersey tour, I well remember because I, it was, it was, uh, I was still teaching in school and they went on Thursday and I couldn't get away till the Saturday morning. So by the time I got there on the Saturday morning, they were already two games in and, uh, and lots of beer and they were slowing down a bit. But I got in, parachuted straight in the first team against Jersey, first team as captain, uh, won the game. And then uh, you, you, decide... won, you won the game. Or... No, I didn't. I didn't say that. <laughs> if I did, it was a slip of the tongue. Yes, I did win. I did win the game. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I thought, well, these boys have been here for two days, and I think I'll try and catch them up. You know, so I suppose I did try and catch them up. Um, we got back to the hotel, and uh, they, the youngsters refused to take me out to where they were going to a disco over the other side of the, of, the, of the island. So I lasted another few beers with the with the old Alakadoos, and after about uh, half an hour, they booked a taxi, paid for it, and sent me to the other side of the island, the youngsters, <laughs> which was fine because I only lasted 10 minutes there with them before they sent me back in the taxi. <laughs> and then the landlord put me to bed. <laughs> so, oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good but, fun. Uh, yeah, very good fun. And uh, I enjoyed the coast tours uh, with Amsterdam. And uh, there was a, there's a tour, but there's a funny uh, story about Amsterdam with the youngsters uh, coming back in the bus. And, of course, there was, there, there was uh, myself as a teacher, and there was a... Uh, a magistrate and there was a copper there and whatever and we said to the boys whatever you do when you're over there you know we don't want if you experiment you experiment we want nothing to do about it and whatever you do do not bring any 
thing back into the country. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, we got to uh, got to Dover, and uh, the customs come in with a spaniel. Started uh, sniffing everywhere, even up in the lockers. And I thought, blink, you know, I hope I hope they've listened to us. I hope we're not in trouble here. So myself and John Hurley were in a real cold sweat, you know. Um, anyway, the, uh, the sniffer dogs went out and they were very thorough. They went in the boot and underneath. And, and then they got off and they said, yeah, okay. So I remember saying to somebody by the side, I said, um, God, thank God for that. Those dogs are pretty good, aren't they? And I wagged one of the coats on the back. Shouted, not that good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh, when dear. the cold sweat started again. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, so you, so you, there's, there's a few tours, but I mean, have you got a favourite away game that you have been to? And also, um, how many times have you been locked in a toilet on a bus and needed to fight a naked Charlie Woodington to get out of the toilet? <laughs> how many times have I been locked on a, on a bus? Well, uh, I suspect you know more about that than me, Paul, because you, you were usually the one waiting for you to get in there and then lock me in there. <laughs> never. Oh, yeah, oh, slander. No, never. And it, slander. And, and if it wasn't Charlie Woodington uh, in uh, naked, it'd be you, uh, uh, for want of a better term, uh, what's the term you use when you uh, pull people's... White fronts? I know, yeah. You, you know what it is. Yeah, I know, yeah. A wedgie. Um, anyway, what was the question? I'm sorry. It's. Uh... <laughs> Have you got a favourite away game that you've been to? Uh, yeah, I think probably uh, no, um, West Norfolk when we when moved up from level 8 to level 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that game where everybody seen us play out their skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, as, even in uh, October 2019, only last season just gone. When we went down to East London, we'd had a poor start of the season. We only we lost to Braintree, um, and then I think we lost to Chelmsford. And East London had won two or three games. And so, as the coach Mike Weston said, "This this is make or break, boys." And I think I've rarely seen a, a game played with more passion and uh, and skill from a Harlow side for a full eighty minutes. Hmm. I mean, it took its toll. It took its toll because we came back with some very serious injuries that day. But it did set the scene for what was last season, and, and we all know we should have gone up. Yeah. But uh, it was that it was that East London game that uh, really uh, sticks out in my mind as one of the better ones I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, your club president, what what, uh, does yeah. that, what does that involve? Um, well, no, it's quite difficult. If I look at my job description, I'm not sure that I fulfil a job description. Although it's mainly about representing the club both internally and externally. Uh, whether it's with visiting dignitaries or opposition teams or referees or whether there's uh, sponsors. Of course, I host the lunches. Uh, there's a lot of public speaking involved. Have, uh, you, have, have you stolen Chris Locke's joke book, or is it is it your own made-up jokes now? I don't, I don't use Chris Locke's joke book. <laughs> <laughs> I, they I, they I, sound I, remarkably similar. <laughs> well, how many, how many lunches have you been to then, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I come to one, you're, you're, you're trying to... Tell there, something funny. Okay. There was there was there was a time when I used to um, write the joke down or, or write the, the, the lunch down and, and then li- list by the side the jokes that I told or the <laughs> anecdotes. Nowadays I don't do that, so if they come up again, it's accidental. <laughs> uh, no, I've got my own. I've got my own stash. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, as the role of president, well, I'm, I'm on the committee, but uh, uh, ex officio, which means I don't get a vote unless there should be. Uh, an impasse and a, and a casting vote is needed. Mm-hmm. So I take part in the discussions, but uh, should it ever come to a vote, which I have to say is very rarely, then I've just got a casting vote. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's 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 you know it's it's just representing the club, being being the front person. Uh, hopefully, I can impart some of my knowledge. I haven't been there for five decades now, into my, into the fifth decade. Um, and uh, basically, it's the same for Essex, except it's all over Essex. And Saturdays nowadays, I have to go around to other clubs, public speaking, uh, the county matches, all the cup games. Um, you know, lots of things. Anything where uh, Essex needs to be put forward, some some of the better days for Essex. Of course, I'm having to go into Twickenham and watch uh, for, uh, the game from the Rose Room and things like that. That's one of the better things about being present okay. in Essex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's all, it's all um, you know, uh, being the front person. Um, figurehead, figurehead of the club, the PR. I think, so. I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and and very similar for Essex. Is there any big difference between the Harlow role and the Essex role? Um, I think, uh, as far as the public speaking is concerned, very little really. I mean, you always try and find out something about the club that you were visiting and the opposition, so that you can mention them. Uh, but at Harlow, you know, it's everybody knows me and. Uh, it's become standard practice that nobody ever laughs at my jokes anyway. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one I tell because they, they make it. A, um, but uh, I'm all, usually well received there on the Essex clubs, and uh, they do make an effort. Uh, so I quite enjoy it. Um, of course, the, the the big thing about the Essex role would have been in the summer, where all the youth competitions and the, the club final, the cup finals, all mm. the uh, county championships for the under twenty ones, the under twenties, the under eighteens, the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men senior, uh, all those where I would have had to represent uh, Essex, going travelling wherever it is, Somerset or Gloucester or whatever. So I missed out on all that and presenting the cups to all the cup winners. I missed out on all that. So uh, that being the case, it's been decided that uh, I should carry on for another year mm-hmm. um, to uh, to go through that next summer. So most probably. of the hard work, most of the hard work is probably done in the summer, which I missed because of COVID nineteen. The so easy it, work, the easy just- work is. Yeah, go on. Is, is just a role for the summer then? Uh, sorry, yeah, for one no, year. No, no. Uh, yes, it, uh, yes, yes. There's, there's, a, there's a presidential team. There's oh, the, uh, there's the uh, immediate outgoing president, uh-huh. the president, and the president elect. Oh, I see. So, so, so it's like a three-year tenure. You supposedly learn as president elect, then you, then you uh, make all your mistakes as president, and then you start <laughs> advising uh, the president elect. You know, uh, when you're outgoing president. Oh, I see. But, uh, okay. But I mean, the, the enjoyable part of being uh, president, of course, is the Saturdays when you visit other clubs and yeah. uh, and and uh, do all, do all what's necessary. Uh, and so, I'll, so I'll have to do that all again. Of course, it, it does help when um, we are in an Essex league, mm-hmm. where I can actually follow the first team away and say that I'm actually visiting an Essex club. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That makes <laughs> yeah. it easier for you. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So you, when I gave you the opportunity to pick your ultimate Harlow team with all of those players that you mentioned earlier, you, you kind of opted out of it. Were you, were you a bit scared to, to sort of... No, I, I, I think we've done... We've, no, I wasn't scared. We've done the exercise before and, and I'm sure everybody's got their views and, and I wouldn't want to try and hold back from the views. I'm glad that we do agree on certain positions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some of the... Some of the uh, I won't mention uh, Kerry Palmer, but some of the you know people around who <laughs> who pick these teams, and and and, and it's a pretty good team they pick. But of course, unless they experienced and watched the players of the the sixties and the seventies, you know, how would they know how good they were? Mm-hmm. You know, how how can you not uh, have been impressed with the likes of Dill Thomas or or uh, Don Harrigan? 
you know, and, and uh, Jim Parsons, and I don't know whether Jim Parsons in his team. I don't know, but you know, uh, yeah, G- G- you know, Jim Parsons came up. I can't, I can't remember if he he was in the team, but he came up because Prindy, he was t- a teacher for uh, or taught Prindy, and got Prindy to the rugby club. So, all right, uh, yeah. I'm quickly looking through my notes here just to see if I can find uh, whether uh, Jim made the team. I can't, I can't remember. But uh, well, do, do, do you think? I mean, any other players there that sort of jumped? Oh, well, there's, there's, there's lots. Of, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to start spouting on about the players who played uh, uh, when I was playing in the seventies. But I mean, there, there was lots of good players, and of course, uh, I, I can mention younger players like uh, James Ethgraves is, is one of the better prop, best props I've ever seen. I found the list. Now we went for the wingers were Lee Smith. Well, we went for Rudy. So, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really instead, uh, uh, overall. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jim Parsons I mean, was I, on the list, yeah. So. I mean, I'm just wondering whether they picked the South African who came over, who got uh, a Cambridge cap and uh, and the 21s South Boynton. African cap. Trevor Boynton. He was in my team, but uh, yeah. he didn't make it all. So, uh, did, did, it, did Don Harrigan make that team? We, I, see, I don't think any of us have got a, uh, a point of reference for seeing, as you yeah. said, seeing Don Harrigan play. Um, yeah, but, but certainly seeing Dave Hurley play and John Lott play, um, yeah, I think we, yeah. we didn't we didn't have any arguments on those sort of guys. So. I I wouldn't argue with it, with any of those players. You know, uh, I mean uh, Peter Claridge was another one who who spanned both my era and mm-hmm. the youngsters know about as well. He's another one. Yeah, and of course you know the algae prices of this world will walk into most teams, wouldn't they? I don't yeah, know what, you know. So I so I I'm, I'm able because I've been five decades, but I, even I can't say uh, with any guarantee that. Those who played in the sixties and even the fifties might have been good enough to get into the you know the best mm-hmm. fifteen, but yeah. it's 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 subject. You know, would, would would Muhammad Ali ever have beaten, you know, whatever? You'll of never course, know, you, you, you yeah, never know. You can't. You, you, it's it's all uh, it's all opinion. It's all subjective to your experiences and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you can't you can't take into account. It's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit yes, of fun. And, and for anyone listening who would like to come on and do that and uh, do give us their ultimate Harlow team, we'll gladly record a session with you. And uh, I think Steve, <laughs> Steve, For- Steve Foreman and Kev Ellis did one on in their podcast as well. So, uh, but, uh, but anyone's keen, let, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Alan, what makes you proud about our club? Oh. Everything really, the way the way that the, the club from his very early beginnings in 1955, the way that uh, all the stories you hear about all those uh, Hall or Newtown pioneers coming into the town and starting up the club, and uh, and the Dr Huntleys, you know, making sure that uh, we never uh, fell foul of being in the red and uh, providing the money to buy Rams Gorse, and the way that all the camaraderie and uh, uh, we joined, you know, it's a big family club. I mean, rugby, I think, is is family oriented anyway. But I think Harlem, maybe more than most. I mean, my children uh, certainly uh, run the roost down, down the Ram Gorse, and I'm, I'm pleased to see that you know children run around down our club now. I mean, I, I like I like the family atmosphere. Uh, it's I mean, I've, I've seen the growth of mini minis and and juniors and the girls and and the ladies' teams. I'm very proud of that. I suppose uh, I suppose I'm pretty proud of being president when we moved from Ram Gorse into into uh, Latin Park. Um, as, as, as we like to say, we moved from uh, a corner shop into a, a hypermarket, yeah. and uh, still learning along the way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very uh, very pleasurable time to be Harlow uh, president, yeah. you know, to, rep- to represent to uh, represent our great club. And you, you mentioned Dr. John Huntley then, um, and yeah. sadly he passed away just a, a couple of weeks back. Didn't yeah. You? So. 
Um, it's, yeah. it's strange to uh, sort of go back and think about sort of um, yeah, that club in 1955 and, and the, like you say, the pioneers that set up the club and, and what we have now. Uh, yeah. We've come an awful long way in, what, 60-something years no, I, I think we, I think we have. I mean, uh, Doctor Huntley. What you would never, well, from what I've heard, and certainly when I was in the seventies, I knew of him because um, he was about there. And I don't think he was quite present. He was in the background, but you very rarely saw him down the club supporting the team. He was always in the background, uh, providing us with financial support. And of course, his farm on on uh, on, on the greyhound lane, going down the greyhound farm on the left. There, we always had our annual barbecue there, which There's made a, a lot of money was, for the club. There was a farm there. I don't yeah, just just as you turn down what's it called School Lane. Yeah, on the left-hand side there, only okay. about fifty hundred meters down. There's a big farm there. Oh, really? Didn't and that's that. where the that's where the club barbecue was held. Ah. so and and that's to to a degree a tradition that we still have with uh, the club barbecue each year and uh, that sort of yes. big get together, yes. isn't it? So yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a great, great, great night. So having your many years of experience at the club. Um, you, if we had unlimited funds, which we've never had, uh, but if we did, um, what do you think the club should invest in next? Well, I've always been a one for uh, investing in in youth and investing in coaching, and uh, I would like to see every you know head coach for every team uh, obviously get all the qualifications they can and uh, receive a remuneration. So if I had a lot of money, I'd, I'd, I'd put a lot of remuneration at coaching. Um, and along with that, will we'll come uh, players anyway. Uh, we've got to keep up the school setup. Uh, it's, it's obvious with the amount of rugby that, that is being done, uh, is it's not enough. We need still need a lot of teaching, a lot of coaching. So I put more money in, into schools. Um, of course, uh, lights are great for the first team. I think uh, the lights need to be brought up to playing standard for the uh, second team pitch as well. Four mm-hmm. uh, G pitch, uh, a bit. It, mm, the jury's out on that at the moment, I think. Yeah. Because uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very pleased with our pitch anyway, um, you know, and the way it's looked after. Um, but I know a 4G will. Uh, we did get a game cancelled this year because of rain, uh, yeah. Orgmeyer. Yeah. Um, but that's the first game. And, and, and like we said, when they laid it, they said that the only pitches we'll have it will be like a in a 20 year storm. Well, we had the 20 year storm, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. All weather training I, and sort of all weather playing is kind of the dream, isn't it? But Well, I, uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm not sure about all weather playing. Uh, like I said, I think the jury, as far as I can say, is still out on that. But all weather, up in the far end, when we get as far as the, 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 the barns at the top end, there's a lot of spare ground up there. And I think that could be well, we could well spend some money there on uh, uh, a more permanent car park. And some all weather training facilities with lights up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lights are going to be key, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we we're coming hopefully towards the end of a, a significant lockdown, and and things will start to get back to normal, but perhaps not at the normal timeline that we would expect at this time of year. But what are you most looking forward to uh, as we move forward? Um, begins with R, ends in Y, and I've got five letters. <laughs> Um, well, that's a bit glib, I suppose. But uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's just get back to normal business. Mm. I mean, watching rugby on, on, and I enjoy both Saturdays and Sundays. You know, I love Sundays. I mean, I, I always remember going down to Kings Park in uh, in South Africa, and, I, and I've been down to Richmond Park on a Sunday, and watching, you know, hundreds and hundreds of youngsters enjoying themselves. Well, I have to say, and I actually said it 
10 years ago to um, some junior coaches, you know, I want to see a club like that, on, uh, like Kings Park and Richmond Park on a Sunday. Well, actually, fact, I think it is like that now. If you go down on a Sunday in normal times, it's absolutely wonderful to see all the enthusiasts, all the coaches, all the parents and all the kids really enjoying themselves. Um, so I think that we want to get back to that. Uh, obviously, Saturday luncheon, I really do enjoy the Saturday lunches. And we do have a, a very, very strong uh, uh, gathering for that now. We put a, a lot of money at the club and support the first team or second team along the way. I've been looking forward to the, uh, you know, the special events we've always put on. You know, the dinners, the St. David's dinner, the Burns night, uh, occasionally the St. George's night. I mean, I can never understand in England where we never have a proper St. George's uh, uh, night dinner. Um, yeah. Outside music, you know, hosting county matches again, you know, because... Uh, one thing I'm pretty proud of is that Harlow is now on the map with, with Essex. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's taken a long time. I mean, we, I, we, we've finally been forgiven for being one of the only clubs uh, in Essex that voted against leaving Eastern Counties to become a constituency body by itself. Yeah. Um, they think they've finally forgiven. Well, certainly if I'm president and Alan is their financial controller, I certainly think we're forgiven now. But you can tell by the, you know, uh, I mean, if, if, if Essex had their way, uh, they'd play every cup final and every age group cup final and every county match at Harlow. Mm-hmm. They'd, you know, because the referees want to come there, players want to come there, everybody wants to come there. But of course, to be fair, they have to be spread around Essex. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, how would the other clubs feel? But I am looking forward to hosting county matches again at Harlow. And of course, those uh, those test matches between uh, the deaf unions. We've had Wales, we've had uh, New Zealand. So, mm-hmm. and having talked to the uh, the managers of the England deaf. They are making this any time they come south. They'll certainly be using Harlow as their headquarters. Mm. Uh, okay. Up north, up north they use Sale. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we're on a par there, aren't we? So. Yeah. We, oh, <laughs> well, apparently not. <laughs> apparently, our facilities are better than Sales. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> That's always good to hear, isn't it? Is good yeah. Yeah. So I've I've had one request from the other side of the world to try and get someone on uh, a podcast because things might be quite funny. So I'm going to have to ask you quickly if there's any questions that uh, I should ask Mr. Gallantry when he comes on, um, because his his son has sent me a message saying, "Please get my dad on." I'm sorry. Yes, I, I think there's lots of questions. Uh, uh, one of them, we, you ought to ask him about um, the races home from away games in the 70s along the Great Cambridgeshire Road. Yep. Um, his legendary drinking exploits. <laughs> there, there, was one, there was one player on the club who once said, I wish I had enough money so I could drink as much as gallantry. <laughs> <laughs> you could, uh, yeah. You could ask him actually about the second test in uh, in 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 Australia. In, second uh, test lines se- in Brisbane in Australia. What happened? Why 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 you didn't make the why you didn't make the Sunday sailing? That's uh, I could tell you, but I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Gallows is one of the characters and uh, and has been real, a real asset over the years. Yeah, you know, uh, he has. So yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll save it for another time. It was a fantastic story when he was on tour with Nuki with us. I'll have to go into. So, <laughs> oh, and Nuki, and Nuki as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there we go, Alan. Thank you very much for your time today. It's uh, been great to fill in some of the blanks in our history there uh, and hear about what you're up to representing our club, both uh, to Essex and wider. Um, so thank you very much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Right, thank you, Paul. I hope it wasn't too boring. (laughs) Not at all, not at all. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the House of Rams podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. 
We'd love to hear your feedback, so please get in touch through Facebook or email me direct with your thoughts. If you'd like to appear on one of our podcasts or showcase what you're doing at the club, please email me on paulowenynan at gmail.com or contact me through Facebook. Watch out for our next release and thanks for listening.